Welcome to the 30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. It's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. And welcome back to another amazing episode of the 30 to Life podcast, Redefining the Black Experience. And this episode, we have an amazing guest for you for this episode. Her name is Dr. Nashley Cephas. She is an artificial intelligence scientist. Um, she has done so much for her community. She has accomplished so much. And we really wanted to do something different in this episode and have someone that uh, has built an app, um, has worked for a technology company, has changed just the perception of what Black and technology is, and really just redefine like tech entrepreneurs, to be honest with you. Uh, she's done amazing things. She is working on a tech hub in our hometown of Jackson, Mississippi, and it is truly amazing. And we're so fortunate to have her on this episode. So with that, thank you so much for coming on, Nashley. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be talking to you all. Uh, my brother's here, so I'm excited. Yes, thanks so much. Yeah, so, you know, we're gonna get right into it. You know, we know um, you are a busy individual, so we want to make sure we get those shims uh, before you have to go. So can you tell us a little bit more about your story? How did you come to be who you are today? Yeah, so that, I mean, a lot a lot goes into that, right? Um, you know, a lot of times people say, if, if, if you do it all over again, you know, would you do it? Would you do it the same? And I don't think I would change a thing because... Um, it all made me who I am today, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, I, I come from very humble, humble beginnings, uh, going and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, raised by my mother and my grandmother, uh, house, lived in a house full of women. So it was very much so a matriarch. Um, I often say that I grew up in a home where, you know, because I was a woman, I was taught that. I could do anything that I wanted to do. I could do anything that I needed to be, anything that I needed to be. Um, and it really wasn't until I got out in the world that I've realized that, uh, you know, it was a challenge being a woman in some of these fields, especially in a tech field. Um, but I do, uh, you know, I did a lot of things growing up. My mom, she made sure we were busy every summer. It was no sitting at home playing video games. I mean, you could do that, but you also got to go to the summer camp or you got to, go to band camp or you got to um, get in, get into sports or, you know, something. And so we we were very active uh, in all of that. And uh, I often say my first love was actually music. I played the piano, um, you know, raising, raising the church, we played for the church. Um, I played several instruments. And my second love, though, uh, when I was in the eighth grade, uh, I was introduced to engineering. And so that's when I found out what computer engineering was and how just typing some little letters and numbers into a keyboard can control anything around you. And that just fascinated me. And so I wanted to be in control of everything. <laughs> and so I, I quickly adapted to that. My mom bought us our first computer. Uh, this was the age of dial up. And so I know the harsh times of having to get off the phone because grandma I need to use the phone I can't finish downloading my CD and so uh you know that's how it was and, and I just thought it was really cool and so uh went ahead and, and 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 you know graduated went into computer engineering um you know it was a lot of challenges but I am if, if catching up and doing what you got to do was a person that's me so dope and, and I'm so happy to hear that you are a fellow STEM person you know mm -hmm. I'm, I'm big on STEM as well um uh 
So I guess that leads me into the, the another question. Um, mm -hmm. Why why STEM for you? Um, and what's the hardest thing about being a black woman in STEM in the technology industry? Yeah. So uh, so I think it's it's a very rare field. I mean, it shouldn't be, but it's especially rare for us people of color. Um, you know, black people, brown people, people who um, you know identify as women. Uh, the numbers are are very very low for for black women in the tech industry. I think it may be three percent, and I think we we actually declined a little bit. Um, so it may even be less than that. Uh, excuse me. And so I think what uh, happens is that you know when you're put into an environment where you know you're the only one, um, you may feel like you don't belong. Um, you may feel like the accomplishments, even if you are very successful. Um, don't matter or don't amount to uh, the mediocre-ness, uh, if that's a word, of, of the next the next guy. And so uh, that's where you get things like imposter syndrome. Um, and, and imposter syndrome would be one thing if you had people who looked like you who were steadily progressing um, and in higher places that you can lean on and get mentorship and help from. Uh, but the problem is you don't often have that. And so a lot of people can't relate to you. Um, a lot of times they minimize what you what you're going through. Um, uh, and then at times uh, I've had situations where I've gone to my my manager or my boss at different times at different companies and said, hey, I believe that something's not right here. I don't I don't understand why this person was privileged to this information and I was not. Um, and they would say, OK, either it doesn't exist, minimizing me or they would say, well, how about you go and fix it? So in addition to me doing my day job, um, you want me to do this whole research study and figure out why systemic racism is causing me to feel the way it is for, for historical reasons. Like, no, that's not going to happen. And it shouldn't even be something you should put on me, the individual who is the underrepresented uh, minority. And so uh, lack of mentorship, uh, lack of support, uh, oftentimes feeling like you're not heard um, in, in those environments, uh, it can get pretty challenging. A lot of people end up leaving the field and, you know, moving on to something else or working for themselves, which um, that's not that's not a bad thing at all. But you want it to be, um, you know, very intentional and not just because somebody pushed you out. So what made you stay? Like, how did you come over those mental barriers to be in the industry? Um, you mentioned that you felt you felt alone. You, did, you didn't have that mentorship. What possessed you or what kind of pushed you to, to, to stay within that field? So I knew where I knew I had a destination. I knew where I was trying to go. Um, I knew that, for example, getting a PhD would allow me to be in rooms that I would normally not be able to be in. Other people might be able to be in those rooms, but I knew I wouldn't. And so I also wanted to uh, help people. Um, and I knew that by having access and knowledge about certain technologies like artificial intelligence, uh, which is which is my expertise, um, that we can do a lot with that. And, and that is where the whole world is moving towards in terms of technology. And so it would benefit me to be an expert in that field um, so that one, I can represent for those who are not there. And then two, I can help and benefit my community. Um, and that's exactly why I stayed. And that's why I wanted to, uh, you know, continuously uh, do things that would give back to the places where I came from. You know, follow-up question to that is, so now you're in uh, work at Amazon, artificial intelligence, but before you arrived at 
Amazon. Uh, can you take us through like the journey to get there and how ultimately your app was acquired? Sure, sure. Um, so before Amazon, I, um, I so I, like, like I mentioned, I went into computer engineering uh, for undergrad at um, my alma mater, uh, Mississippi State University. Um, I had a full ride there. Um, I actually never, never had to uh, pay for school. It was, I was blessed to have uh, funding all the way through PhD um, in engineering. That's another benefit for those listening to go into STEM. If you're if you're black and you're going to STEM, you can pretty much get funding for school. Um, and so awesome. I went to Mississippi State. I had the opportunity to study abroad. Um, I went to uh, Seoul, South Korea. I studied abroad in different areas in France. I worked at several companies um, for the internships like IBM um, and GE. And then I uh, had the opportunity to get fellowships and went to uh, get my PhD at Georgia Tech um, in Atlanta, which is what brought me to Atlanta. I'm actually still based in Atlanta, um, but back and forth um, to my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi. Um, when I uh, got uh, graduated from Georgia Tech with my PhD, I took a job in New York City uh, at a consulting firm um, down in Manhattan, and I was working. Of course, I was the only one. Uh, you know, it, it was it was an okay job, but uh, you could tell that you know there's some things going on like discrimination. I wasn't treated the same, um, and there's you know you just have to deal with that in corporate America. But um, all the while, I had been helping. Uh, this young lady, her name is Jewel Burks, uh, with her, her startup company, just kind of build it. Uh, it was called Park Pick, um, P-A-R-T-P-I-C. And what we did was we created these algorithms to help you recognize parts in pictures um, and not just recognize the part, but measure the part. And so and we also received a patent for that. And so saying, hey, this is a hex bolt is uh, three inches in length is a half an inch base diameter, threads per inch 15, uh, color is stainless steel. And this is where you can buy that part. Um, and we did that for hundreds of parts. And so um, she came up with that idea and I helped her build her first prototype. And by the time I had took my job, I was uh, several months in, almost a year in, she called me back and said, hey, we, we raised money with that prototype. We raised $1.5 million and we need you to come back to Atlanta to be our CTO. And I said, sure. I put my two weeks notice in. It was it was a no brainer. I'm, I'm, I know y'all are Y'all are from up north, but I'm a southern. I'm a southern girl, and that snow, it just I couldn't. I couldn't do it. So I came back down south um, <laughs> in, in Atlanta, and I became CTO. and And we talk about the struggles being the only one in corporate America, but this was totally different. It was a black tech startup company. The CEO was a black female, went to Howard, Jewel Burks. Um, the COO was a black male who graduated from Morehouse, who's from the Midwest, uh, Jason Crane. I was a CTO um, from Mrs. Jackson, Mississippi, Georgia Tech, and it was the perfect storm. I felt like, you know, it was Wakanda and I was Shuri and I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I didn't have to worry about anything. Um, we hired a team. I had about uh, six engineers reporting to me. Uh, we had a very diverse team. You know, we we put diversity at its at its forefront, even though some people don't. But we we recognize that that was very important, and so we were able to build the company. And in less than two years, um, you know, we we sold the company to Amazon. That's so dope! Um, wow, wow. Uh, first of all, I gotta say, 
thank you for the for the Black Panther reference because you know that is that is literally my favorite, <laughs> my favorite oh, yeah. Marvel show. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, shout out to Got Shuri to. too because she, you know what I mean. <laughs> Black Panther wouldn't be nowhere without Zuri, oh, yeah. so you know oh, I just yeah. got I just got to say that. Um, <laughs> I wanna I wanna bring it back to uh, I really like I guess Steph and. Mm-hmm. I want, I'm, and the only reason why I'm focusing on that right now is because I think that it's so important for us to get into STEM. It's just not enough of us, like you said. Why do you think that is? And how can we as a people, I guess, overcome those boundaries? Because STEM is the future. I mean, as you as you already know, STEM is the future. This is where we go, the way artificial intelligence is going, as you already know. How can we, how can we get ahead of this? Yeah. And, and before you go, just to add to it, you, you pointed out one big thing. You said you went to school for free and in our community, we're taking on way more debt than our counterparts. And if you're going into STEM, you're getting paid more plus less debt. I mean, that's the recipe for success. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I, so I can address all of that. So um, on the going to school for free, um, you know, when, when people go to school, actually, I have a mentee just graduated high school. He's he's explaining a man explaining to me why college isn't for him. And I said, OK, OK, I get it. You know, it's, it's you know, it's not not everybody goes to college. Everybody knows that. But I told him you will spend the next four years of your life doing something. And so at the end of that four years, what do you want to look back and say that you accomplished? Um, hopefully, if it's not college, at least you were picking something that you want to do learning from experts and becoming the expert yourself. And if you're not doing that, then you're probably going to end up in the same place in four years later. So I told him to, to think about that. Um, for those of us who want to go into STEM, there's so many options. Um, of course, there's the traditional route going through uh, college and universities. There's boot camps now. You can self-teach yourself. The beauty of it is that you can probably, in, in a lot of respects, self-teach yourself and go straight to making six figures. If you're serious and self-disciplined and enjoy what you do and you actually like it, um, and maybe you have a mentor and an expert that you can reach out to, uh, you can definitely do it. Um, they do it all the time. Um, half the folks in Silicon Valley did not even graduate from undergrad. And that's the truth. And that's something that we need to change our way of thinking um, as to why we aren't in STEM. I think too, there's this misconception that, um, Black, and when we look at the numbers, Black people are not in STEM. However, historically, let's look at Black history. Let's look at the real Black history and look at all the innovation that came out of people in slavery, people who made it through the 1800s and throughout. Um, there's, I forget the name of it, but there's this, this show on YouTube about like 25 Black inventors or something like that. And it shows you all these things. Like I was even surprised, I thought I knew everything, but I was even surprised by some of the things that they listed and named on there. Everything from the closed circuit security cameras um, invented by and patented by a Black woman and her husband um, to the things that we do know about. And so um, if we can think about, hey, we are uh, innovators. We are people who come up with new things. We do belong here. We just haven't been afforded these proper titles and this proper recognition, but we've been there ever since the beginning. Um, so if we preach that and if we teach that history, I believe you'll have more people um, interested in getting into uh, STEM. I just want to point out they still don't know how the pyramids were built, people. They still don't know. <laughs> that is true. So, um, 
you mentioned artificial intelligence, and and mm -hmm. I have and I have to bring it up uh, because one, that's your specialty, and two, um, like I mentioned earlier, I think that's where the future is going. Where do you see artificial intelligence going, and um, how does that affect Black people, and how do we get in on this ahead of the time, ahead of the game, really? Right, right. Gotcha. So. Um, all of the technology that has been created uh, thus far, you think about it, it has been created by a majority of people in, in Silicon Valley um, on the West Coast. And so uh, if you look at, if you don't know if you've ever been to the Valley before, um, Palo Alto, um, you know, uh, the area of San Jose, that whole area, um, Mountain View, uh, the majority of population of people there do not look like us. Um, and so the technology that's being developed uh, you, it makes you wonder, you know, have they considered different perspectives and different backgrounds, ethnicities, ages, gender, all of that, um, regions even. And so, and if they don't, um, for a certain point of time, they just thought, okay, we're developing this stuff, it's advancing, it's cool, everybody likes it, let's continue to sell it. Um, but now everything is catching up. Even government is catching up and saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You mean to tell me that when you run a test on these type of people versus these type of people, you get a significantly uh, different uh, error rate. That's not cool. Um, and us as people and, and myself in particular, um, as a technologist and as someone who consumes and uses technology, um, even myself, I thought, okay, that's just the way it is. It's, it's not going to recognize my Southern accent. It's not going to recognize, you know, my darker skin. Every time I try to get on a video call and my back is to a window, it's going to create a silhouette out of my face. And so I'm going to have to try to move around. Like, it's just how it is. But no, it's not. Um, and it doesn't have to be. Um, and so now we're getting to a place where we're saying, okay, let's get all these other perspectives and let's think about this. Even if you can't hire diverse tech teams, which that's a whole nother discussion, um, which people should be. But if, even if you can't, there are focus groups out there. Um, let's utilize the perspectives of others and let's properly uh, compensate these people for their opinions and the, their data and the things that they're contributing to making this technology better. Definitely something to look deeper into and, and really think about. Um, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper. You mentioned um, the alternative to learning about tech. Can you can you dive a little bit deeper for people who may already have student loan debt and they're like, I don't really want to pay, you know, to go back in school or want to go a non-traditional route of getting into tech? What does that kind of look like? What's the time frame? What are the steps that people can take? Yeah. So. Um... As I mentioned, there are a lot of programs now, especially now, um, that uh, can help you change your career path. If you maybe you are on another path or maybe you're just getting started um, from from YouTube to Coursera, um, Free Code, uh, Free Code Camp, I think Code Academy. There's so many of them out there that show you um, at least introduce you to coding. Um, and of course, there's you know traditional books there. Are, courses that are now being offered virtually in the age of, uh, you know, pan post pandemic that, you know, you don't have to pay all this money to go to school. Now, um, top universities are now offering courses and, and degrees and certifications that are fully um, online and virtual. And they're great programs. And I think another piece of that is find a mentor, like find an expert, somebody that's doing what you want to do. And then learn from them. Say, hey, you know, what's, it's nothing, no harm in reaching out on LinkedIn or something and saying, hey, um, I see what you're doing. Um, 
I just want to, you know, talk to you one time, maybe 30 minutes. Uh, and then maybe after that initial meeting say, Hey, can we, can we touch base every quarter or so? Um, I just want somebody to keep me on track. Um, unfortunately, we don't have people a lot of times in our family who are, you know, in STEM and we don't have anybody to reach out to. Um, and so we but but think outside the box to get access to those people. Um, and also, uh, I want to tell the story of my sister, uh, my younger sister. She uh, I think she went to school for I think it was environmental science. Um, and then she uh Ended up working in a different state, I think working in North Dakota, coming back to Mississippi. Um, they were not paying her what she owed, what she was definitely owed and what she sh could have been making in any other state. So she quit her job. And I said, well, you might as well, you know, start doing this tech stuff with me. And so I, I started showing her how to do websites. We started doing apps. Uh, we started uh, hosting other people and showing other people how to do it. Now she's owns her own tech company. It's been three years in now. She has several clients. Um, she's making way more money than she's ever made. And I think this is a perfect uh, example of people who were never, um, you know, thinking that, oh, I can do it. You can do it. Like, and, and just give it a try. You never know. You may end up getting the financial freedom that you want from that career path. So I listened to you speak and then I actually uh, uh, read a little bit about there was a town called Soul City. Um, have you heard of it before? Soul City? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, okay. that's the name of Okay, no. Yeah, yeah, so. it's called Soul City. So essentially, it was a town for open to all races, and it was supposed to be a town for Black people uh, by a Black person. And um, and uh, essentially, he was supposed to receive government funding for it. Um, so when I read about your story, um, you're, like, kind of building the new Soul City at this point. I, I would love for you to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like Jackson, Mississippi, to me. Uh, <laughs> But oh, is it okay? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I used to work at IBM out there. Um, shout out to those folks in Research Triangle Park. But um, so I think that um, uh, I, the project that I'm working on it, it does sound very similar. Um, what I'm trying to do is create a tech hub in downtown Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I uh, started a nonprofit called The Bean Path back in 2018 um, after we sold the company. Um, I'd been wanting to come back um, and do something in my hometown anyway in Jackson. And so we started The Bean Path to one, provide uh, that expertise. So those people that you may not have in your family, at least you could come to The Bean Path and rely on an expert for app development, for website development, social media, um, digital, um, uh, literacy, all types of stuff, no matter what level you're at, if you're very advanced or if you just have no tech savviness whatsoever, um, we are a resource for you and we try to be there for you to help you on your tech journey. You could even be a small business or a new startup company and we'll get you started. Um, and I think the value of that is that we started having so many people come. We used to set up shop in the local libraries um, before COVID, of course, and uh, we would have people lined up uh, at the door after about a year in, we've been we've been in operation for almost three years. After a year in, people will be lined up at the door before the library open to come and talk to us and get help, get tech help with their devices, or they'll have their ideas, or they'll bring their whole startup team. And we got to go down here and talk to you know these folks down here who are going to help us. And so um, we said, wow, you know what? 
much greater good we can do if we can scale this by having our own space um, and just really creating, um, you know, this thing a lot, a lot more frequently. And so I started looking at uh, different buildings in the, in the area in Jackson. Um, and I found a building that I was always fond of growing up. It's a huge um, barn. It's a 17,000 square foot barn in the middle of the city. So you got big buildings all around it. It's a huge barn. And so I acquired about it. And I found out the same guy owned, it was an older white guy. So, so that's the thing. It's not a lot of black ownership, even though you have a majority black city, um, especially in the downtown prime real estate area. Um, and so that that's a, a problem too. And so I found out the same guy owned 14 acres all the way around that barn, both sides of the street. And I said, man, look, you, you might as well, you know, work with me because I'm about to do something big here. And so I talked to him. He said, okay, okay, I got you. He gave me an excellent deal on the land. Um, I tried to get it financed through the banks. That was a nightmare. Um, several banks, even black banks, um, when you're trying to explain to people who have no idea what a tech hub is, um, people who looking at me like, you gonna do what? <laughs> you? Um, and then, you know, what? I mean, it's just, it's a lot of things that happened there that people just, you know, were not on board. They were not feeling everything I was saying. And so, uh, but there were one or two folks that, that were believers early on um, and they got me to the right help. And I went back to the owner, I said, look, I'm trying to get this financed, but these people are not working with me. One bank even strung me along for like eight months and decided not to work with me. They had all this, I was paying for so much stuff to get done and, and they still didn't do it. And so I was just almost depleted at that point. And then the guy said, well, don't worry about it. I can own or finance it for you. Um, and that's how I ended up getting the property. And so we, um, my team and I um, are, are, I am actually the sole equity owner, but I have a team of uh, several folks that help because I still have my day job, of course, at Amazon. Um, my my full-time job on the side, as my sister says, but on my other, on my other jobs, uh, you know, include uh, still running the bean path. I have a whole staff there. Um, the bean barn, uh, we call it the bean barn and that whole development project for the Jackson Tech District. I have a development team there, uh, lawyers that are doing pro bono work. Um, everything is really coming together. Uh, we are, we're announcing uh, this week that the project is now a $150 million project. Um, and we have supporters from uh, Airbnb has given us sponsorship, Acer Computer Company, um, IBM, uh, Amazon, and we have several others we're talking to from athletes to top companies to celebrities and um, local people who want to invest, um, people who have, um, you know, uh, contacts to government and then foundations and um, all sorts of people are, are now on board and supporting. And so I'm excited about where we're headed. Yeah, so it sounds like this is going to be, you know, a, a, a new Black Wall Street um, that you're creating um, because you, you mentioned that you'll be, you know, the sole equity of this. So that it, this will be essentially a hub or a community that is 100 percent like Black owned. And you just mentioned, you know, I, I read articles that were saying it's 25 million, but you, you're about that own, own, you know, this this hub that will be worth 150 million plus. Like, how does that how does that make you feel like going through this process, what have you learned? Oh man, um, so much. I, I could write a whole book about what I've learned. I've been at this almost three years um, and we're, we're breaking ground this fall finally. Um, and so it's, it's, it's definitely something that it touches my heart um, to be able to impact my community. Um, 
we're we're impact we're impactful. Uh, we're going to be sustainable and profitable. Um, and my hope is that this will uh, infiltrate throughout the entire state. Um, we our whole state is really under the poverty line, majority of it. And so this could change the entire economy. When you see what this has done for Mississippi, which a lot of people think that uh, you know we're we're actually at the bottom of a lot of lists, right? As a state, um, if we can do this in Mississippi, then where else can we do it? Um, can we take it to other majority black cities with little black ownership uh, who may not have a tech, a strong tech hub presence and create that tech ecosystem that includes investors, that includes entrepreneurs, includes HBCUs, it includes bringing everybody to the table, um, working with the government, even those who don't agree with you and those who don't believe in what you're doing, this project is going to benefit them too. And so the thing is that everybody, um, once you start getting more and more buy-in, Growing that tech ecosystem, um, everybody wins. A rising tide lifts all ships. All right, all right. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for listening to part one of our two-part series with Dr. Nashley Cephas, artificial intelligence extraordinaire, businesswoman, real estate mogul. Listen, she's doing it all. She has some gems for us next week. Well, she has some gems this week, but she has some more gems for y'all and for us next week. So tune in. Thank you. 30 to Life Podcast, we out.